0: Welcome to The Hobbyist. My name is Piers Cooper and I'm here to talk to you about hobbies, my own and yours. Hello and welcome back to The Hobbyist, the podcast about hobbies and interests. It's been a few weeks since the last episode because I've struggled to find somebody willing to speak about their hobby. For that reason, this is a mini-episode where I'll explain how I'm proposing some changes to the format of this podcast that should improve things. That's coming up in a bit. First, is an update on my hobbies. Hobbies Roundup! March was an odd month on the hobbies front. The season's changing gradually and my interests moving likewise. Being concerned by my addiction to playing bots on chess.com, I took the month off chess. At first, this was a bit of a struggle, as I'd been filling every spare 20 minutes or so with a game or two. The problem is that I'd started to suspect I was actually getting worse, and had this confirmed very quickly. The bots play in a very strange way, and people do not. When you play against bots too much, you simply stop seeing the human moves whilst never really learning the computer lines because you're constantly on guard and overthinking things. I believe you need to be playing at a much higher standard than me to benefit from these things, with vastly better theoretical knowledge. Incidentally, I did get a shout-out from The Chess Pit, an entertaining chess podcast. I'd asked about struggling to progress when playing against bots. The guys did their best, but don't really recommend it, instead pushing me back to where I came from. Playing against human opponents, something I'd realised was going to be the only solution. I'll post a link to their podcast in the show notes. It's really worth checking out if you enjoy playing chess, and if not, they meander all over the place with frequent football and cricket references too. Why had I realised I needed to play against people again? Well, just before Christmas, when I was still playing people on chess and I know I pronounced that wrongly, but surely the pun in the name is to do with lychee's? I'd peaked at a lowly 10.43 rating in rapid play. Going back to this, I blundered badly twice in a simple game against a 9.50 rated player and lost a pile of rating points. This was what triggered my withdrawal from chess for March. So much of my sense of self-worth was wrapped up in it that I was becoming obsessive. As I record this, it's the 7th of April and I've yet to reopen a chess app. I want to, but something holds me back. I'm on holiday this week, so who knows? Maybe I'll find courage and time over the last few days of my freedom from work. Moving on, flushed from the success of building the nest box for birds, something that remains resolutely empty, I've been planning a garden house for the bottom of my scruffy plot. My garden is long and thin, but because of the positioning of the workshop, I cannot see the garden from my house. Even from my office window at the extreme rear of the house, I can only see the last third of the garden, half of it if I stand up. I'm one of those people who overheats very quickly, so I dislike gardening intensely in the summer. With the extreme summers we've had recently, that has meant I had to get gardening done in the spring, and by the time things are cool or dry enough again, the evenings have drawn back in, and the garden by the next spring is a mess. This is where the garden house comes in. The intention is that it will be my year-round work-from-home office. This means power, internet, heating, and decent ventilation for summer. I've given much thought to having it as a solar-powered room, but the long hours in the winter preclude my heating it by solar alone, and right now the cost on top of building the room is prohibitive. The double-glazed patio doors going in the front will cost almost £600, and I had hoped to construct the whole thing for under £1,000. Planning this has led me to be much more garden-oriented, so the house has achieved its goal long before I've come close to breaking ground for its foundations. Now, you may well know of my love of tools, and for gardening this is no exception. I've bought a mattock. This is a marvellous tool. Not very expensive, but for clearing out the bramble roots that have caked the plot where the garden house will sit, it has been invaluable. I've uprooted saplings and large knotted bramble roots in a matter of moments with the mattock, and I wonder now how I've gardened for so long without owning one. So much so, that when I started tidying the main garden beds this week, I was inspired to buy a mini mattock. It's made weeding a breeze and cost under £13 from Screwfix. The main beds are now largely clear and yesterday I bought the new mulch for them. This existing mulch is five or six years old and largely rotted away or broken down now. I bought the new mulch from Morrison's because B&Q wanted rather more money for the same volume and they had nothing else from my shopping list, being out of postcrete for the foundations and having no engineering bricks which I wanted to use as the stubby posts supporting the frame engineering bricks are glaze baked and water resistant so won't break down in the soggy clay of my garden they also lacked the two by fours i wanted for the basic framing and also for a project for a friend of mine who's asked me to build him a workbench for his garage this needs to be able to accept the back end of a car under the leading edge so it'd be suspended from large triangulated brackets i was going to build out of c16 two by fours but there were none in stock I did manage to secure some new microfiber cloths and a small piece of 6mm MDF to build my dad a box file though. Anyway, all the pruning and chopping up to clear the garden left me standing in a t-shirt in a gale yesterday, which was about 6 degrees centigrade. I noticed my back was a little stiff when I came in, but by the time I'd sat down for a couple of hours writing something I wanted to submit for another podcast, I couldn't get back up. My lower back had lost all strength, and I was in so much pain I broke out in a flop sweat and saw stars. I ended up on my knees and from there levered myself back into a position where I could move again. I cannot sit for more than about 20 minutes at a time now for fear the same happens again. It's no fun at all. Finally for my hobbies, I've been really getting a lot from my bird watching in March. I've been out most days either in the garden or down to the brook to see whatever is there and after just half an hour or so it's really helped with the tedium of lockdown. With the lifting of some restrictions recently and the Easter weekend upon us, Friday last week I decided to make a trip to see the sea. Heacham in Norfolk is a place I hold dear. As a child we would visit my grandparents on my father's side and every time we would wander down to the beach at some point during the day. The fact that it's under an hour away from where I live is ideal. In the summer I frequently take a trip to the coast to watch the sunset there after a tough day at work. Heacham at Easter, the first weekend in April, is not quite the same. The usual breeze was a little short of gale force, and instead of blue skies and fluffy clouds, there was a grey, leaden uniformity all the way to the horizon across the wash. I'm bubbled with my brother, and he was at a loose end, so came with me. I tend to feel the heat, and he feels the cold. You can imagine how the trip to the coast went. We parked at the duck pond in the middle of Heacham and walked up the road to the beach. The duck pond probably has a real name, but in summer you can hardly move for all the sorts of wildfowl they have, and they have road signs warning of ducks crossing. On Friday there were only numerous mallards, a pair of gray geese, and a pair of shovelers. I didn't take a camera with me to the beach, and I sort of regret that now, though I wouldn't have wanted to lug my long lens around in the winds, so at the time I was sure it was the right decision. First new bird for the year that I saw was a group of oyster catchers, probably 20 to 30, and all eagerly nuzzling the soft sand from the receding tide. I'm not sure why they're named in such a fashion, because I've never seen them eating oysters, but their fluorescent red bills are always a cheery sight on a dull grey day. Next up for the year list were some common gulls, again not so common around my parts, and these were scattered all over the beach, hunched against the cold or using the wind to near hover a few feet from the sand. We walked further than my brother would have liked along the beach, and I soon saw some distant waders. My little eight-by-forty-twos had trouble picking out details at such a distance, but with a little legwork I could see they were curlew, and a huge flock, possibly up to one hundred, such was the density. These curious birds, with their immensely long, slender, downward-curving bills, are at times a comical sight, but the numbers surprised and pleased me in equal measure. Having turned back and lugging our now weary bones to the dunes, we were accompanied by a flock of small birds with interesting plumage. I couldn't identify them at the time, but I'm now convinced they were rock pipits because they had an olive tinge. Jolly little birds, braver than you'd think, and jumping from beach house to beach house ahead of us. Finally, on the way home, we passed a small group of jackdaw. It's odd I've made it this far into the year without seeing any, but there you are. Since then I've seen some almost every day, so it must just have been a blind spot for me. I love jackdaws and their oily plumage and cocky attitudes. They're possibly my favourite corvid. The next day I made my way to God Manchester Nature Reserve. It's set back from the new A14 and bounded by fishing clubs and landfill sites, being made up of abandoned clay pits. It's a strange place to navigate and I'm most unfamiliar with it, but it was worth looking around. Again, no camera. And I could have kicked myself, for within a few minutes I was at the side of a small, secluded pool with a displaying pair of great-crested grebe going a full school of dance. A nice one to tick off this year, especially the pair. A short while later, another of my, why haven't I seen any yet, was ticked off as I spent an enjoyable twenty minutes or so observing blackcaps skidding around a thicket while a chiffchaff yelled its presence loudly over my shoulder. I already had a chiff chuff on my list, but when I did spot it, it was doing the usual shout-then-move tactic, and I quickly spotted it amongst the branches. I moved back towards the car and spotted a sign for the common, so diverted to that. My first spot was a glimpse that I wasn't able to verify of a goldcrest. I've seen these before, and they're one of the smallest birds we have in this country. It was below knee height and descending. I was unable to get a second look at it, so I've not added this to the list despite my being convinced of its identity. What I did see was a small group of meadow pipits. These are smallish, streaky birds that I spent an enjoyable ten minutes or so observing as they searched for grubs on the meadow. On the way back, I saw a group of goldfinches and a solo greenfinch doing the same in the shelter of a hedgerow. None of these were new this year, but it's always nice to see. That same day in the evening, I went for a walk out through Maramambach and and saw my first skylark of the year. I love their song, and it always heralds a good summer in my mind. On Sunday I went to Dogsthorpe Star Pit. This is for me my local patch but one I tend to avoid because I find it disappointing. It's bounded on the two long sides of its triangle by very busy roads and the roar of traffic is inescapable. I tend not to see anything interesting but I was there for a very specific purpose. Before I get to that purpose I saw an adult male marsh harrier carrying sticks and twigs as if building a nest. Shortly after, I then saw a female quartering the reed beds, and she dropped five or six times as I watched. I had my spotting scope with me, but no camera again, so I went back the next day. The male was gone, but the female was still hunting, and I hope when I look through those photos later that I'll have at least a few worth saving. Now as to why I was there. I have two birds on my wish list for this year. The first is a tree creeper, which I'm now determined to see. The second is a bittern. Now I'm not mad, I realise I'm unlikely to see one of these reclusive birds but I'd read that bittern could be heard at dawn and dusk and this is why I was there for half seven waiting for dusk at around 8.15pm. I didn't need to wait. Almost as soon as I'd reached the bench on the point overlooking the reed beds I heard the sound of someone blowing across a large empty bottle. I'd achieved my goal. Over the next hour I heard two Bitten call to each other and from the directions they were moving around always invisible to me. I understand you can see them flying at times, and I shall have to get up super early one day to try and catch us on the camera. That would make my year. Finally, for the birding weekend, I visited my favourite spot of Deeping Lakes. I was there to see if any sand martins had arrived to set up in the bunker there for that purpose, but despite my glimpses, I couldn't verify. I did see a small group of teal in the long grasses, and heard from another bird that others had seen a grey plover and yellow wagtails that day. But I saw neither, and catching sight of what I thought was San martin and the bunker, I even added them to the list at one point. But a third view confirmed another of its ilk. My first swallows of the year. Not a disappointing substitution. That concludes this episode's Hobbies Roundup. Now, on to the future of the podcast. It's proving a Herculean task to try to persuade people to come on the podcast to speak about their hobbies, mainly, I think, because they, like me, dislike the sound of their own voice or are too shy. The impression given by the media that everybody wants to be famous these days is proving to be a very narrow field of view. And whilst nobody coming on The Hobbyist is going to get famous, people's reticence I respect and I want to work around. To that end, I have a couple of options to present that I'd really appreciate some feedback on, please. The first is that I move the podcast to a regular monthly slot and it becomes a narrative of my hobbies, much like this episode. I will then include interviews as and when I can arrange them. The second option that I prefer is that I would try to go fortnightly and open up the 10 things to written submissions from which I will then narrate the answers to the questions. This would require some pretty comprehensive answers or my transcribing an interview with you so I can gather the content more easily. I realise this still may involve a Zoom call, but at least your voice isn't heard, and that might encourage more listeners to take part. Either way, do tell me how you'd like things to progress. I had some feedback the other day, and last week this podcast was number 49 in the UK for Hobbies, and number 81 for the same in Canada. That's genuinely exciting news for such a young podcast, and I'd like to thank my guests so far and for the future for helping make that possible. I really think the future of this podcast lies with you, the listeners. If you share the podcast with your friends and rate it on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now, it does make a difference. With your ongoing support and participation, with submitting your hobbies, this could grow into something educational and entertaining for people of all ages. I would really love to help expand people's horizons and develop their interests. I must also emphasise that I'm interested in all sorts of hobbies. They don't have to be big, expensive, dangerous, exciting, require a lot of skill or take a lot of time. But without listeners coming forward to share their passions, I'm back to option one and simply telling you about mine, which I'm not sure is what people tune in to hear. When a friend, relation or colleague is on, it widens the listenership of this podcast and encourages people in. I want to share my passion for pastimes and learn about and share yours too, but if I don't hear from you, that's proving a very difficult task. If you have any ideas on how I can encourage more people to take part, I am all ears. Here's how you can contact me about your hobby or to give feedback or ask questions. Drop me a line on Twitter at the thehobbyistpod or email me directly at contact at thehobbyistpod.co.uk I'm not on Facebook because I don't have a personal account and I do not wish to join. I'll be running a Twitter poll from the evening of the day this episode goes out on the options I presented today, and I really would value your time if you could follow me there and respond to the poll. I'm also open to suggestions on how things could improve, so please feel free to drop me a line on anything. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Please get in touch, either through Twitter at the Hobbyist Pod or email me at contact at thehobbyistpod.co.uk. I cannot wait to hear from you. Until next time... Goodbye.